Dilly Dally Shilly Shally. My name is Matthew Kroll. And it looks like the planet is a lot madder than we thought. I'm Jessica Tucker. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the very specifically titled film, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children Complete. And you might notice, dear listeners, that uh, Shahir Dowd, not present for this one. Jessica Tucker is has graced us with her presence yet again. Hi, Jess. Hi, reporting live from Los Angeles. Yes. How how is <laughs> how is the city of angels doing? You know, I would be able to tell you if I was out in the world, but I'm just in my closet right now. <laughs> Literally, to record this, you are in your closet. I'm in my my closet studio. I love it. Well, it, it's funny because Shahir, when he's here now, also has to broadcast literally from across the street in his closet. Oh, really? <laughs> so, so yeah, um, yeah. But uh, dear listeners, Shahir could not make it this week. He uh, he tells me he's super busy, Jess. He tells me he's overworked and he has a lot to do, but I mean, we all know he's just watching Lord of the Rings in preparation for our Lord of the Rings episode eventually. We know that's happening. We know because he put it on the gram. He did put it on the gram. He put it on the gram. He put it on the tweets. He put it on his his TikTok. <laughs> and if you haven't found Shahir Dowd's TikTok yet, oh boy. Um... It doesn't exist, but one day, if we shame him enough, maybe he'll do it. Oh, uh, no. you got you got my hopes up. I know. No, no, no. So, so he couldn't make it this week, and I wanted to do two things, Jess. One, I wanted mm -hmm. to find an excuse to have you back because I love having Aww. you here, and you're a delight to talk to on all of these podcasts. You're our, one of our number one requested guest hosts slash guests in general, so thank oh, you again. Oh, wow. What a compliment. And, and then two... Uh, because Shahir's not here. When when the Shahir is away, the Matt will play. <laughs> and and this time around, uh, due to some things we'll get into in a little bit, um, I wanted to do something that I knew Shahir might not want to do, and I figured mm. this might be the time. Uh, so we decided, and by we I mean me, uh, to ask you, and you agreed to do this odd. Occurrence of cinema, I guess I'd call it. <laughs> uh, listeners, if you're not familiar, uh, the film we're talking about today is a deep cut of nerd lore. And the reason why I wanted to do Final Fantasy Advent Children Complete uh, is because this last Friday, Jess, mm -hmm. something wondrous happened in the otherwise sea of nightmare that's going on in the world, but in the video game community, mm -hmm. with the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is uh, a remake, a full remake of the 1997 Final Fantasy VII game, uh, but now told with new graphics and voice acting, and, and it's a cinematic experience in itself, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit, but I thought it would be the perfect time to revisit this weird little film, which is not so little, really, uh, that was a direct sequel to the video game Final Fantasy VII. Now, Jess, this is where you come in. Yeah. Because ever since our Star Wars episode, our New Hope episode, I believe, where you came in to the Star Wars watching public absolutely cold, you'd never seen a Star Wars film before. I had never seen any, any of it. And uh, you are now uh, my resident uh, <laughs> guinea pig, pig for cultural yeah. <laughs> for cultural touch points. This, of course, not being as large as Star Wars. Um, and I wanted to see, and I warned you entirely in the beginning that you'll either probably love this or hate this. There's a possibility you might hate it. I wanted to see if someone watching this film from a cold perspective would uh, would find enjoyment or things in it, uh, because you don't have any history with Final Fantasy VII. 
at all, or any of them really, right? No. So I, I mean, a little bit of like my backstory, if you haven't heard my podcast before, like I, this is, I, I love lore. I love fantasy. I love some religious undertones. <laughs> um, I, I'm not, I'm ignorant to gaming. So I, I, I come, it's like, it, no matter what I say, know that it's not because I'm against the genre. Of course. Um, it's it's just because like I'm literally just trying to understand what's going on. Yes, and this is this is not a movie that uh, <laughs> holds your hand in any way. No. Uh, and it been a it been a minute since I'd watched it. I, the last time I'd watched it was probably let's see. This version came out in 2009 in the states. The original was worked on between 2005 and 2006 uh, before there was a re-release, which is the complete edition, which added mm -hmm. I think 26 minutes and like yeah. uh, actually adjusted some of the film itself to like show dirt and battle damage and a little bit of blood before it looked a little clean during the fights. But this actually made it look a little bit more like people were getting scuffed up. Uh. Um. But it's it's um it is not a film that holds your hand. It is not a film that I I think, especially after rewatching it now, uh and we'll talk about the merits of this, if it even thinks that a person who hasn't known the story of Final Fantasy VII, which is convoluted as hell in its own right, uh, I don't know if it even thinks anyone who hasn't seen that game or played through it or knows the story would even watch it. Um but, yeah, it's it's an odd little thing. Uh, speaking of odd little things, if you have mm -hmm. an odd little thing you'd like to tell us about, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us, onlymoviepod. Um, also, we got a wonderful email from a listener, Brian, who I'm going to save it for next week when she hears back because it has to do with Austin Powers and some opinions on our Austin Powers episode. Uh, and some and some uh, some cultural things about watching it, uh, not necessarily in the United States. So stay tuned, probably next week for that. Uh, tangent though, Jess, you've seen Austin yeah. Powers, right? No, <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. You, we, I have so many things that I have black holes with. I love it. We should have had you on that one too. Oh man. <laughs> well, okay. There we go. Well, that we'll we'll do emails next week once Shahir is back. Um, but Jess, so yes. so uh, you don't have a history with this, or or the, and I don't even say gaming in general. It's just sort of this is a this is a slice of gaming that happened back in 1997 is where this story sort of originated for me. And playing through this game on the original PlayStation One, mm -hmm. um, it was three discs long, which was huge because like you'd get to a point in the story and it's like insert disc two and you're like oh gee like it's oh, that level wow. of like it was on three cds wow and and this was the first time in my life where i realized that gaming as a medium could be as powerful as film yeah uh the story and again back then it was presented in uh, super low res polygons with pretty backgrounds at the time, but still in SD. It was all text. It was not uh, voice voice acted at all. Um, oh, interesting. And it was about a forty hour long game for the story, but you could play it for hundreds depending on sort of what you did. Uh huh. But it affected me in a way, uh, so much so, in fact, that even though this movie that we're going to discuss today is is generally quite silly in a lot of ways. I still get emotional when it comes to seeing these characters. There are moments in this film where I get misty and I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. 
Like what is happening internally mm -hmm. with my own emotions that is making this happen? It, yeah. It, 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 because I think the characters and the way that sort of the, the, the cultural touch point that resonates with me about this game's existence and what, what it meant to me back then is, um, is, is very prevalent in my experience. Again, actually kind of going back to the Austin Powers episode, mm -hmm. uh, which you have not seen, but mm -hmm. there was a lot of talk like what's, what's, where does our appreciation come from? Does it come from a place of nostalgia or does it come from a place of, 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 of something else, of, of a work being legitimately wonderful or is it a little bit of both? Right. Um, since since you don't have this with Final Fantasy, is there a film or a series or a book or even music or something, some form of media, Jess, where you've you've loved it when you were young and then you go back to it and you still get the same feeling you had then? Is, is there anything that you can think of off the top of the dome, uh, off the spot? I haven't prepped any questions for you here. This is just something I thought of. <laughs> Okay, so what constitutes my childhood? Could we say even like late teenage years? Oh yeah, well this was late teenage years for me. I mean, this was 97. I graduated high school in 2000, so I was probably 16 or 15 when Final Fantasy VII came out. Okay, so not far off from like this type of story, but um, we've talked about it because you and I at this point have known each other for 15 years. Yes. Um, <laughs> A glorious 15 um, years. Um. I have like just like a strange affinity to the movie Underworld. That is yes, there you go. I I can't explain it. Um I know that it came out whenever I think we were seniors or whenever I was a senior in high school, but it was always on repeat on TV whenever I was in starting college and I was taking a film theory and criticism class and I remember writing a paper about Underworld and I just like for whatever reason and I got really, really into it. Um, the I found like the director's cut and it came with like comic books and this was like a purely original story that just like the director and the writer like came up with on their own. I yeah. think the comic books came out after. I think right now they're working on a TV series for it, but there was there have been several sequels and prequels and that kind of thing. And that I really really got into that world. And it's not even that it's. To me, I mean, I find it amazing for we could do a separate podcast about it. But <laughs> sure, and one day we will. <laughs> that that could be its own thing. But that really is like something that I get the feels every time I like go back to it still to this day. Like it just really there was something about the time in which it struck me that was really poignant. Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's it's the style of storytelling or the type of story that you're told at a specific moment in your life that if it hits you at the right moment, it will latch on and you will get it's it's akin to the sense of smell, in my opinion. I, this is, you know, Ooh, no, yeah. no scientific uh, basis other than me doing it in my own brain lab. But the because of this, like it's it's <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but like it's the same type of like lizard brain activity where like. If I smell broccoli soup now, uh, mm -hmm. because I had a stomach bug when I was a child and my mom cooked broccoli soup on that day, I feel a little nauseous, even though I love yeah. the taste of broccoli soup. Th yes. Th this is the, the inverse of that for me with this film, because I can see its flaws and we're, we're going to talk about its flaws, um, but I also don't care. And, yeah, and, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
it's a weird it's it's a, such a weird thing and I, that's why I was kind of psyched to have the conversation about it. Um Final Fantasy 7 has been a bit of a both a pariah for for Square Enix which is the company that developed mm-hmm. it first and a cash cow. And the reason I say pariah is they've milked it but just enough and up until literally last Friday they didn't have released a remake of this game because they knew it was their most popular game they'd ever made. And people wanted a remake because it was, you know, 25-ish years old or whatever. But if they didn't stick that landing, it would basically be like they would kind of tank themselves. They've even said on record, we're not going to redo Final Fantasy VII until we've run out of new ideas. Can I can I interrupt really quick? Yeah. As a person, and for other people who are listening that may not be familiar with Final Fantasy, they're standalone stories, right? So Final Fantasy VII is not necessarily related to six or eight. It right? is absolutely not. Here's the weird okay. thing about the Final Fantasy franchise. Thank you for bringing this up. Sometimes, because I work on a video game YouTube channel, I, I often forget that folks might not know <laughs> this weird because it's not clear. Totally, it's like why would they just remake seven? Is right. what I was wondering. And so, why would they just do a movie for seven? I know. So so, th- so they're standalone stories. All of the mm-hmm. Final Fantasies are standalone uh, role-playing games uh, throughout the ages. They started on the original Nintendo Entertainment System. There was one on the Super Nintendo. They then jumped to the PlayStation. Um, so they've been around forever. The The thing about and why they're all Final, Final Fantasy games is there are themes or cross characterizations that happen so like for instance cloud and tifa and Aerith in this film and storyline of seven are not in any of the other final fantasy games however there are aspects of it such as uh creatures sort of crossover like there are these giant ostrich birds called chocobos which weren't in the movie but they appear in almost every final fantasy they're like horses almost for people so they'll always be there uh, i don't know if you remember in the film jess there's a little uh boy and girl at one point that's holding a stuffed animal it's like a white yeah. stuffed animal that's called yeah. a moogle and moogles are also in every final fantasy Interesting. Uh, there's also at this point the the big creature they fight in this movie is Bahamut, I believe, um, and the those are summons that characters can cast, and and these summons tend to come back throughout the the series. So like, mm-hmm. and they're all based on m- a different mythologies. So Ifrit, uh, Shiva, uh, a couple other sort of things that they've taken will always come back in one form or another as a thing a character can summon. Ah. Uh. So there are. There are through lines and little bits of of world building that is not like connective to the world. Like Final Fantasy VIII does not take place in the, on the same planet as Final Fantasy VII, but they all still have little monsters called cactars in them. Like it's very. It's that was my weird. next question: Was are they are we on the same planet in these different? No, movies. they've done but... some crossover games and things like that. There's uh, and there's some really bad uh, mobile game shills that like try to put all the characters in it all together. Uh, and look, and 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 sort of swinging back to Final Fantasy VII. VII was their most popular. It seems. Okay. Uh, and okay. and uh, the characters, for a lot of different reasons, have stuck with a generation of people. And so they tried. They tried. There was a there was a movement around this film coming out. That was sort of like, let's take Final Fantasy and try to push it across all mediums. So they Mm -hmm. had a bunch of different games. They released a cell phone game in Japan called Before Crisis. There was a PlayStation portable game called Crisis Core. These are all in Final Fantasy VII world. 
There was an animated thing called Last Order. There was a PS2 game called Dirge of Cerebus. And they appear, the characters appear in other games, like, randomly for, like, fighting games like Smash Brothers or things like that. Mm -hmm. But then this was sort of like the cherry on top. Because Final Fantasy, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. when Final Fantasy VII hit its super, the game, back in 97... When it hit its real stride is when they started to be like, oh, no, we want to make Final Fantasy movies. And I don't know if you remember back in 2001, Jess, there was a film that was released in, in U.S. theaters called uh -huh. Final Fantasy The Spirit Within. Or I The Spirits Within. This. It was the first, at the time, photorealistic, like trying to make animated stuff look like real people thing ah. and uh it did not do well and it's not even that the movie itself is bad it's that people were so pumped on final fantasy 7 and oftentimes there's a lot of um there's some technology in it of course but there's also a lot of like medieval stuff it's like a mashup final fantasy the spirits within was a hundred percent again again a new story none of the characters that anyone cared about but also like almost pure science fiction uh, and it was not the tone of any other Final Fantasy. Another thing that crosses over is at least tone, and it just didn't feel like it. So it was a real clusterfuck of, like, naming convention versus expectation. I see. So I think when this film that we're talking about, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children Complete, I think <laughs> they swung the pendulum. Instead of trying to find a middle ground, they swung the pendulum all the way to the other side. Like, oh, the first one didn't really touch on anything people liked about Final Fantasy. So now we're not even going to think about what general audiences would like. And we're just going to throw the entire Final Fantasy VII kitchen sink at the fan folk. Yeah. It, it's such an inside, like, <laughs> baseball story. Yeah. Um. Oh, and for those, because I have a couple questions for you right off the bat, Jess. But before we get into that, something I know people will ask us. Yes. Uh, is did we watch the uh, dubbed version or the subtitled version? And we watched the dubbed version, which I know for a lot of people is a cardinal sin for and myself personally <laughs> on a lot of different mediums. We've come, we, we've said many times on this podcast, like get over the one inch barrier, watch a film with subtitles, mm -hmm. do it, do it, do it. Here is my only defense for this one. Uh, it's confusing as all get out anyway, and I wanted to make sure that it was as clear as possible for my good friend Jess to to engage with it. But more you knew so, that there was already a barrier for me. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but but more so than that, because you 100% could understand the Japanese version. Mm -hmm. This falls into the weird category of time, where only one other property, uh, one Cowboy Bebop, whom I've we've we've talked about, or I've I lent you those a while back. Yes. Uh, some of the voice actors actually shared in Cowboy Bebop and this film, by the way, in the U.S. Oh, stuff. really? Um, but I originally watched this movie, and I originally watched Cowboy Bebop with the English dubbing. And now, because I have an emotional connection with these films, and that was the first time I've seen it, those are the ones that feel correct to me, even if they're not the canonically all the most people, uh, opinion-wise, of, of it, like, what that is. I yeah. lock into this, and uh, that is why I, I chose for us to watch this in the in the dubbed version as opposed to the subtitle. Uh, email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com uh, if you want to yell at me for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, I have a question too. So is this movie, would you consider this movie canon or is it irrelevant because it, the following games don't play off of what happens in this? It's inconsequential anyway. It is both. Because ah. in the world of Final Fantasy VII, this is canon. Okay. In the Final Fantasy pantheon of games, because eight never connected with seven and all the other numbers, it doesn't really matter. Uh-huh. Um, th- so yes, this is as it stands now. What happens after the events of the original Final Fantasy VII video game? Okay. Um. So with all of that in mind, Jess. <laughs> I'm going to read you the IMDb movie description of this, which makes it sound far more cohesive than I think it is. Lay it on me. (laughs) An ex-mercenary is forced out of isolation when three mysterious men kidnap and brainwash the city's children affected with the geostigma disease. That's it. That's it. But I also think that's the most succinct description of this movie I think you could possibly have. It absolutely is. And by the way, I read nothing before I started it. I went into it completely <laughs> blank, pure. I really, like, it. I entered a different world. Yes. And it was incomprehensible. <laughs> Which brings me to my initial questions for you. (laughs) Now that I've told you what the IMDb description is, and now that you've Mm. watched the film. Yes. Can you tell me what happened in this movie? Okay. (laughs) Like, when you first watched... I should have actually asked this before the description. But, Uh I mean... Break it down for me. When you finished this and you're like, what did I get myself into? Where, what I, did you think happened? What you can't see is I right now, like a detective, have post-its taped on my wall of things I understood. And then what's much longer and double-sided is what confused me. Okay. So I'll tell you right now, there were three like specific things that I was like, this I know. Mm-hmm. Here is number one. Okay. Shinra is a greedy corporation siphoning spirit energy from the planet. Yes, correct. Okay. Big plot okay. point. Yes, good, good, okay. good. That, they came out the gate and I was like, I, I understand the whole live stream planet energy spirit thing. And we have a greedy company that is using it for their own devices. Yes. Um, Number two. Sephiroth is bad. (laughs) Yes. Sephiroth is bad. He is. Here, let me pull this down. For those of you at home, I'm watching this wonderful, (laughs) wonderful Skype image of just looking above her camera to uh, what I can only assume is a a serial killer hunt like version of sticky notes and string. This looks I look like a scene from Zodiac right now. I'm in the dark in my closet and I'm reading like scribble. It's (laughs) it's it's quite an image. Okay, Sephiroth is a big bad. Um, who was sort of defeated, but is now dormant in a meteorite that was supposed to take out the planet, but the spirit energy of the planet stopped him from doing that. 
and encapsulated. Yes. So spoiler alerts now, and and I, I will actually sort of say moving forward for those of you who don't want Final Fantasy VII itself spoiled. <laughs> or or this film, for whatever reason, you might want to tune out and wait until you're done. You know, wait the hundred hours before you can come back. Um, or if you don't care, then this is going to get real weird. Um, yes. So at the end of Final Fantasy VII, you defeat Sephiroth, and you think he's dead. The whole thing was, there's a whole side bit, which we can get down that rabbit hole, of uh, Genova which is the thing you just sort of referenced that the, that the three characters in this film is looking after like mother quote unquote. That was one of my questions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> basically the Shinra corporation infused the cells from Genova, which was an alien that crashed down on the planet forever ago into their soldiers, also infusing them with the Mako energy from the planet. And that's what created these soldiers like Sephiroth and whatever. But Sephiroth was, um, sort of a, a bad that was then like, well, no, no, no. Like I need to no. this is my legacy is to do what Genova was supposed to do, which is basically destroy the planet genocide, ride that yeah. planet, like a burning comet, like Genova did to a new planet and start a thing again. Aye, aye, aye. It's almost like a <laughs> planetary coronavirus, weirdly enough. Oh, there are so many <laughs> yeah. like metaphor, Corona metaphors. Yeah. So Sephiroth, going on here. Sephiroth is bad. And the idea that this film posits, and you don't quite get till the end, is that in defeating Sephiroth, his energy, like everyone who dies, returned to the life stream, but slowly poisoned it, which led to the geostigma, which was the disease people were getting around two years after the fact. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Okay. What was the and third thing? The third thing is... I wrote Cloud is a question mark. Okay. Cloud, here's what I know about Cloud. Okay. His name is Cloud Strife. Yes. So he is supposed to be a mystery, I'm assuming, because his name is Nebulous. Mm -hmm. um, and he is a reluctant question mark hero. Sure. I also wrote, I also wrote What's Cloud's Deal? Um, <laughs> a lot of people have so asked that question. <laughs> Yeah, and that he is sort of like a hybrid, if you're familiar with Game of Thrones, of Jon Snow and Geralt from The Witcher. Oh, Geralt. Like he... Geralt, yes. Geralt, Geralt, Geralt. I'm new to The Witcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see it. So Ish? Cloud. Man, sorry, everyone. This is going to be a deep lore episode. This is what you get when Shahir leaves me alone and I can script one of my good friends to chat about <laughs> nonsense with me for an hour. Um <laughs> Cloud's backstory in the game is real weird, and they reference it only very minimally in this film, which is why 100% I feel like Cloud could just be seen as a generic sort of like moody boy who is a reluctant hero in general. But Cloud throughout this film is having some flashbacks to various characters that he has lost in his life throughout the way. Aerith mm -hmm. was one of them, the woman in the pink dress. Uh, who shows up in some things, and also that guy dressed in black with the black spiky hair, whose name is Zack. Cloud and Zack were soldiers together. That's where there's a, that flashback of them like riding in the back of the truck for a couple seconds. Again, new yeah. to the complete version, which only makes people who don't understand it have more questions. Um, Cloud and and Zack were Zack was a full soldier. Cloud was a was a, just a regular grunt. Through some adventures, Zack dies. 
Cloud almost dies. It's been a long time since I've dealt with this. They revive him with Mako energy, but somehow Cloud gets Zack's memories and thinks he's always been a soldier. And so they're like really tied together. Regardless, those are the two people that were important to Cloud's life that passed away through the adventure of Final Fantasy VII. Um, and that is why they are referenced that way. But that's also, I like that you're just sort of like, yeah, Cloud Strife. Literally, the name means he's he's a, a moody boy and we don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, well, and what's interesting about these three particular things too is um, I... I had to really restrain myself because, you know, I love a deep analysis, a deep Google. If you would have given me if I would have this came about like 48 hours ago. Yes. If I would have had a week, you better believe I would have like every single day, like gone in on like the whole lore. Like I love this. I love some research. Yeah. But I had to really, really stop myself because I knew I was limited on time and I knew that the more I spiraled, the more confused I was going to get. Yeah. And so in keeping it simple, just looking at like name meanings. Yeah. Shinra is Japanese for God snare or, or capturing the essence of God. Ah. Sephiroth is um, of, Hebrew origin, and it, it's the means in which the infinite relates to the finite. Effective, um, yeah. And then cloud strife is like pretty self-explanatory, right? And so it's like the uh, of how confusing this is in just a very light Google of name meanings. After I'm like that actually like does a lot of summary for you. And that's the interesting thing about Final Fantasy's story in general, and this film's sort of continuation of it. It is a hot mess. There is no question that the story is a hot mess, but it is built for you to research, which is why that was one aspect I thought that you would enjoy, even though I didn't want to send you down the rabbit hole for a week because that would just be terrifying. And, and I would have, I would have not, I would have looked like I was in quarantine. It, let's face it, it would have, I would have, it, I would have looked the same. But, <laughs> but. You know, you know me, and you know that I would have like gone all the way. Yeah, in. and it's 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 a lot. It's yeah. a lot. So my next question for you, before we sort of move on through this film, I have two more questions for you. Um, what do you think, if anything, that this film, as its own thing, mm -hmm. is trying to say? <laughs> well, cultural. Okay, so if I. Mm -hmm. All I can do as a lady in 2020, mm -hmm. sitting in her closet. Of course, with a with a, a, a Zodiac Killer map on her wall. And two notebooks. Okay. I see them. And, I, and I, an iPhone. <laughs> I mean, I, the, the lens that I have as we sit in the midst of a global pandemic, mm -hmm. the poignance of watching a movie that's about the repercussions of how we engage with the environment, mm -hmm. standing in the tension of our global pandemic, watching a post-apocalyptic world suffer amongst in their own global pandemic mm -hmm. is so relatable and topical. And all in all, like I didn't dislike this. Like I sure. was just like this, like I can see myself like really getting into this world. And I wish that there was a way that I could consume this story by means of not having to play the video games because I don't know how. Yeah. But um, 
And then also at the helm of it is this evil corporation that basically admits they're not taking as much fault as they should because people are distracted by just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, obviously, like, that all that all comes across uh, comes across very clear. Um, and so I think that we've got the theme of the environment and the planet. And, you know, from my quote at the very beginning, it's like the planet is a lot madder than we thought. Yeah. Um, that I think, you know, and in Japanese culture too, there is such an appreciation for just like natural beauty. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I think that in the storytelling here, they were trying to give us that contrast of you've got like the really intense death gray metal machine and sort of like your empirical cause and effect world of like we did this and so this happened and kind of like getting caught up in that but then in the contrast of it is this humanity and I thought that it was interesting too and and I don't know if you know the significance of this is that they're showing it to us through the lens of children which I thought was initially I was like oh that's that's really good because especially like in how we're relating to to this now and all of like the weird coping mechanisms that we have as adults to like stuff it down and not deal whenever you look at something like that like what we're going through and what they're going through in the movie when you look at it through the lens of a child there's no filter like you just kind of like see it for as crappy as it is yeah yeah, there's a moment. There's a moment when the one of the child. It's a new character who's not in the game. Uh, Marlene, the little girl, is in the game. It's Barrett, the guy with the gun for an arm's daughter, is Marlene. Which I always thought there was weird moments because in the movie they don't really show them together, but they they mm-hmm. are their their father daughter is their dynamic. Denzel is the little boy in the movie, and mm-hmm. he's a completely new character for this film. And the first time I watched it, I was like, "Why are we spending so much time on Denzel?" In fact, I really think. In the non-complete version, in the first uh, version that was released in 2006 in the United States, there's less Denzel, but he's still as important. And then a lot of people were like, why are we getting more Denzel in this story that's supposed to be fan service? And I actually really appreciate it, especially back on this watch through, because exactly what you said. Denzel is the only way that a person outside of this familiarity with this world can understand it and almost or even, not even understand the minutiae of what's going on, but the emotional resonance of what's going on and how the coping mechanisms of a child would work. Denzel takes a, a, a really good arc through this film where, and, and I'll even say this, it doesn't take place fully linearly through the story because we get it through flashbacks and stuff, but Denzel is an orphan. Uh, from when, uh, this is a thing from Final Fantasy VII before the Shinra Corporation imploded on itself, the the Avalanche, which is the group that Tifa and Cloud and Barrett were all part of, were eco-terrorists, basically, and they were trying to destroy Shinra to save the planet. And in doing so, and you you don't know who was actually to blame, was it Shinra, was it them, There was the city was on levels. Like, the slums were below Midgar, which was the city, and then the rich people lived on these plates above it, and they were divided into eight sectors. And they blew up the seven-sector reactor, and then Shinra decided, well, you know what? Screw it. Let's just destroy all of Sector 7 to show people, like, no, these people are – these terrorists are terrorists, and they can't do this. They dropped the entire plate of a city, like, basically taking one city and crushing another city with it. And And Denzel is a survivor and an orphan of that incident. Ah. So that's why – so Cloud finds Denzel at Aerith's uh, church. They, beca- they basically get adopted into the, the uh, Marlene, Barrett, Tifa, Cloud sort of family. 
and then we get to see Denzel dealing with all of this stuff, especially after the the end, the calamity in the world almost ending, fighting Sephiroth. The first time, now everyone's getting sick, and this is a child watching everyone get sick. And he goes mm -hmm. from kind of like hopeful that he found a new family to literally clouds never around and no one gives a shit to when when the three brothers start to take the kids uh, to sort of get them indoctrinated. He's in the back of the truck. He's like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And then eventually it sort of Denzel takes a full circle of like coming back to realize that the family unit matters and all that stuff. So there's I really liked that they used this new character that a lot of people bemoaned to anchor the story around and i think yeah. the complete version actually with more denzel actually is a stronger story than i than it was before i i definitely saw the value in that character in in doing it through the lens of a child i thought that that was pretty smart because it's like how else do you when peering into this world like know what's really know the contrast yeah. you know um, and then the other thing, okay, so just like at very surface value, the other like main theme, because there, there are other themes that I think that came up once I did like my light Google sure. analysis. Um, but the other thing at very surface value that I had before I Googled who Aerith and Zach were, mm -hmm. I understood at the end that there was a moment where there were two people from his past who had passed on. Um, and he was saying goodbye to, and he says, I, under I understand that I'm, I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, and so there's this theme of, you know, the people that we, we love who have died are never really gone. And yes. so like, that's something that's pretty universal that is relatable to someone, whether you know anything about this world or not. And it's funny, you just describing that moment, which I've seen a million times and uh whatever like i am legitimately like misty in my eyes and there's uh. and and it's so strange because many infinite number of films handle this better and deal with the concept of loss and 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 how we remember people after they've died millions of them do and they don't affect me like this affects me which means there's a there's a tie personally to me. And actually, if anyone mm -hmm. else has this in in this film or any other, please email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Because I'm interested in like the psychological reasonings why things and I won't call this benign because it's not, but like again, this is a silly ass movie when you if you look at it on a, a at face value and even a little deeper, you have to dig super hard to get to or maybe you don't. I don't know. It's just weird. I find myself questioning why this particular character in this particular story with these particular losses, even with my friend talking through the movie that I just watched, I like I can feel the welling behind my eyes. And that's strange. I Yeah, I have two ideas. Okay. So one is there was something to it because I literally wrote, I wrote down, I wrote down the and is heaven. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's because you also you take a step back. You're essentially having a baptism to like purify these kids. You take a step back. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stained glass. You're sort of in like a church. You are type in a church. Thing. Oh, it is a church. It's a it's a and, broken church. It's the one church that withstood the fall of the Sector Seven plate, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then you have this moment that through, you know light so you know that you're, you're you know that you're seeing into the proverbial light yeah. whenever um 
Cloud is is looking at Aerith and Zach. The first thing I'll say is that it, it was it was impactful enough for me that I wrote down exactly what they said. Aerith said, "You see, everything is all right," and he said, "I know, I'm not alone, not anymore." It was profound. It was it was profound enough that I. I caught some feels because whenever I write things down like that, it's because it's making an impact on sure. me. And the second thing was, is in my light Googling that there seems to be a community of people that when Aerith dies in the video game, that it was a, it was, there's something universal in that at the age that people were, that it was the first time they had really experienced loss. So that is a hundred percent true in these games up until this point. And again, let's just even, and there's been a bunch of role-playing games before and through the course of final fantasy to get to seven. Mm -hmm. I can't think of one where a main character that you get to play as for probably roughly 20 hours dies and cannot, you cannot save them. There is no way in Final Fantasy VII, despite people hunting for it for over 20 years, for you to stop Sephiroth from killing Aerith. It cannot yeah. happen. Aerith will always die. And there was something very interesting about the finality of that. And, and weirdly, and I, this sounds stupid. These things, when it came out, were like low-res polygons and, and, and whatnot. But again, I speak to the strength of video games as a medium. That was a lot of people, and, and thank God I think it was a lot of people's first, uh, not only like a uh, true sort of moment of like weird, uh, an amalgamation of loss, but almost trauma. Like you've, yeah. you've spent a long ass time with this person whom, depending on the direction your story went, you were either super friendly involved with, like one of your best friends or romantically involved with, depending on which way you sort of went. Yeah. But either way, this was a person that is incredibly close to you, the main character. Which, by the way, you got to name your main character in you like in the game, you weren't just Cloud. You actually you got to rename all the characters, technically, if you wanted to, because it was all text, so you could just type in like mine was always Matt. Like, you know, I put my own name in Cloud Spot because it was all text in the video game. So it, whenever you were reading it, they would just talk through it. And a lot of times I would put friends' names in lines with the characters and like all that stuff. So that's another level of sort of personability. But I agree. I, it was it was the first moment of, I guess, virtual trauma in a weird way, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, And also it was before the time when the internet was like really – like as overarching as it is now where yeah. you 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 talked about this stuff with your friends and there were some forums and stuff like that sure but like it was like the perfect storm of here's something universally that everyone's feeling but we also can't just post about it on twitter right away right um, right so that's a really good take i think that's uh, that's 100% true i hadn't really thought of that and i felt that I mean, not to blow like the end. There We're was already a, spoiler town. It's fine. I, well, not to blow the end of another franchise, but like. <laughs> well, but call that have, out first. Have okay. So, spoiler alert: If you watch Game of Thrones for the next twenty seconds, skip over this. Sure. Um, I we were with Game of Thrones for almost ten years, mm -hmm. and there's a major character that dies at the end, and I felt that loss like it was a real person. Yeah. Like it hurt, and it almost. Especially with it being like the end of like the series, mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, what do I do with this? 
there's nothing I can, there's nowhere to put this feeling because it's like you feel guilty about it because it's not a real person, but it's like it still feels real. There's something to that. Like I, I, I think that that's very interesting. And then you're talking about it from like a very tender age. Like you're, whenever sure. the Aerith would have died, you, you know, people would have been in their teenage years. Yeah. And I'd only had a couple of instances of death in real life that were around me at that moment. I was sort of lucky enough at that at that time. Uh, my grandmother had died, but I was a little too young, so I didn't fully understand. Like, uh, I don't even think I went to the funeral. I don't think they took me because I didn't quite know. Uh, and so at, I think even at that time, I don't know if I had ever been to a funeral. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of sort of, this is stuff I'm going to talk about with my therapist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's something, there's something. There's something to it. There's yeah. There's something there. Uh, but jumping, jumping back, I think, rather than just talking about the feels of Aerith, uh, I, I, last thought on that, I'm, I'm glad that that's still, it, not her death in particular, but that the moment that the film sort of, and I do think the film earns it if you do stick with it just on the film's own merits. That ending with Cloud and the kids in the in the slightly flooded church and that sort of baptism-esque moment and looking through like the moment when he looks over and you see like, is it like ghost Aerith or whatever, like talking to a kid like she's leaned down and then he's like, what? And he looks over and they're walking out the door. Like, I'm glad that sort of that moment in the last lines were still effective for you as someone who literally has no ties with any of these characters beyond the film that that you'd watched. Yeah. And there's also, there's something to, there was a general effortlessness to this movie too, where the, the way in which they departed, like they weren't trying to make that heavy moment, but somehow it hit like a heavy moment. Yeah, And there was something else that I wrote down to where Tifa, is that her name? Yep. She says um, at the end, cloud is cloud and there's just something to that where it's like you understand and and i i have like a whole thing i want to say about him after my life sure but um there's something to that too where it's just like he's not trying to he's not trying to be a hero no one's trying to do anything it's like they're all just kind of like moving through this world in a very effortless way, just like everyone's just trying to do the next right thing. Right. And there's something really um, refreshing about storytelling in that way to where they're not hitting you over the head with stuff. Granted, I was having it. I was having to do a lot of work to right. reach within to understand things, but there was something refreshing in them not going overboard as in, as we would do in a traditional Western hero villain movie. What I really liked about it too is so the trauma that, that we, that a lot of us experienced when we played this game, but that this film at least references that clouds trauma clouds journey of this film is literally what happens to the hero after the world is saved, but it's still kind of shitty. Right. Yeah. And that is he is going around trying to find a cure for the stigma. But at the same time, he's also distancing himself from all of the people he was once close with because of the trauma of losing two people he was close with. Uh, and and just because he they came together and coalesced is a line that Tifa says when they're all together again, all those main characters, when they fight the big Bahamut thing in the city, those are all your main playable characters other than Aerith. 
And uh, so you gather those characters throughout the game and you know all their stories and that's why it's kind of a, an emotional high for people familiar with the series. Uh, but she's like, look at this, uh, you know, what did she say? She says something like, you know, think about two years ago, think of the strength we all had around each other back then. Uh, and like, that's, that's gone, but she thinks that Cloud has found a little bit of that again through the Denzel storyline and through whatever, and that's why they like, that's why they don't help him with Sephiroth at the end. Like, mm -hmm. they fly away and he has the one the one smile in the entire movie is when that ship leaves. Like, ah. so so the, the point of that is Tifa knows what Cloud's going through. She can't reach him, but through the, the, the sort of shared trial of trying, like, she actually calls him out with Reno and Rude in the thing because he's like, I have to go talk to Rufus again. I have to do this other thing. And she's like, cut this shit and go save the kids. Like, yeah. like there's no, he keeps trying to do the thing I think we all do with important tasks. We're like, okay, look, I'll get to that workload, but actually, oh, hold on. I just gotta, I gotta do this one thing or I gotta take out the garbage or like, oh, I gotta call, you know, this person. When you're like, no, dummy, like there's an important thing you have to do and you are <laughs> avoiding it. And I think that is a universal trope that is very relatable and this film Again, it's not the full point of it, but I think it does a really good job of around the fantastical bullshit that it's showing you, kind of displaying a character that does not know what to do with themselves, even though they're the literal hero of this world. Yeah, so it's really, really interesting because you and I were talking about that anxiety of freedom yes. the other day yep. in relation to us yep. of... of that deadlock that you have with yourself of there's so many things to do and then it, it like initiates like a paralysis yep analysis and, paralysis and it's funny because like i was listening to as i just kind of like always am like a a, a talk about existentialism sure <laughs> and philosophy and um simon kierkegaard says that's that's the definition of spirit is that deadlock that you have with yourself where you're feeling that you're not at one with the world mm. um and that there's like a short circuiting that happens it's the dizziness of freedom it's the what should i do who should i be the rug's been pulled away and and that feeling of anxiety is actually the experience of being human. And that was something else that I had written, too, is that in, in um, not in psychology, but in philosophy, like the true definition of a, the rebel is not the person who starts counterculture. Yeah. It's the person who leans into the chaos, the person who, who accepts the absurd in the midst of it and leans all the way in and just accepts this is the human experience. And there's something to cloud that, yeah, there, there's something that's very universal and identifiable within that character where he, in one of the, the um, summaries of him that I found, they were very gentle in the way that they worded it. But they said <laughs> he, he had a weak psyche. It was but a broken he, psyche. He was, he's been psychologically scarred because he's living with his memories combined with his dead best friend's memories. Like, there's a lot there. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is so also in this talk that I was listening to about, like, existentialism and, and freedom and spirit and anxiety, um, it came up that not to tie Cloud to 
Brian Williams, the news anchor, but do you remember whenever he there that story about him came out that he lied about being in a helicopter yes. in Iraq? Yep. And he ended up losing his job over it. Yep. And that there's something they were they were saying that people were analyzing that and saying that it's not necessarily that he was just bold-faced lying, is that there's a trauma that there's something that in like a 9/11 and a global pandemic and a massive trauma that happens that it takes you back to there's a phase in, in little kids too where they call it interjective projective where it, like if one kid falls down another one will cry yes because yep. th- they can't quite distinguish their oneness with being separate from someone else uh-huh. it's like a, it's like a developmental phase that people go through and that whenever you're launched into trauma that you kind of go back to that and so they were saying, like, with Brian Williams, like, he, the, the trauma of, like, the war, he started to remember, he literally, like, remembered it as something completely different that didn't happen to him. It was someone else's story. Yeah. And so whenever I did, like, I did, like, basically, like, a six-minute backstory YouTube video on Cloud. Yeah. And I found that and I was like, that is so interesting because that that is very relatable. That That's something very, very human. Mm-hmm. And that the 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 um, the contrast of having this person who was wielding this massive sword, it's the biggest sword I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the burster sword or, or the, he has every sword you get in the game stashed in his motorcycle. <laughs> um, that someone that has all these skills these skills that wields all this power and he seems like he's been um injected with some sort of supernatural he is so he has he has mako he has mako energy because it's it stinks that it's called soldier like soldier is the Mm -hmm. special forces mako life energy of the planet infused genova cells infused uh, of the planet sort of bit uh, that I don't quite know about the Jehovah's Cells. Like there's some complication there because it's been a while. Uh, but yes, so he is imbued with more powers than than most due to the soldier process, which he underwent. And I have to remember this too. Zach definitely underwent it. He might have underwent some of it. I don't. Rem- this is where it, again I haven't played full Final Fantasy VII through, and I played it through three times. Maybe eight years ago was the last time, and it's a very convoluted story. But there is something special about Cloud. Cloud does have extra abilities. Granted, all of the characters kind of do, especially in this movie, with the amount that they jump and float and land, um, and the materia, the orbs that give you the magical powers, uh, yeah. are things in the game which I like that they <laughs> when. Marlene just throws one at that dude's head. I'm like, oh no, because that's then, what those were. Yeah. yeah, those are the things that let you cast magic and summon those beasts and uh, you know all that jazz. They don't touch on that very well. They don't explain that in the film. Yeah, but it's just it's just interesting seeing all this power being wielded by someone coming from a broken place. Yeah, and there's some there is again like there's something really refreshing about that. There's something really like. He's not, this is not a traditional character. This is a character that's very, very interesting to me that I would love to, like, learn more about. Jess, I gotta find a way to get you a PS4 and the Final Fantasy VII remake because, <laughs> I, so straight up, I'm playing it now. I've only, I'm only, like, four or five hours in, and I streamed some of it uh, with our wonderful community at the, the EC community, uh, our streamer, Will. Uh, he wasn't there for this, but uh, we got to stream it. I got to play it live with about, uh, you know, 50 or so odd people watching. I don't know the number. 
And I was having an emotional reaction to the beginning of the game at all of these moments that are sort of like, it, what I've described the game as is it's a perfect balance on a knife's edge of nostalgia and surprise. And I've never had that happen, like, because there's enough new and enough old and it works together. I think the story, the way they're retelling it now with, a, to be honest, the graphics in this game look better than this movie we just watched because it's, you know, 10 years later technology wise and the right. voice acting is superb. And like it's there's super moving moments even throughout. Uh, there's a moment when you first see Aerith that I was like, I, I, I just shut up and my, my stream chat was like. This is the most real reaction I've seen to this. Because I was just like in wow. awe of what they were doing. Um, so, so, yeah, we got to find a way to have you do that. Because researching it is great. And you know, what's, you know what's great about Final Fantasy's story? Final Fantasy VII's story is you can research it and know exactly what's happening. Exper it's so complex that you're going to forget aspects. And then when it happens, it's still going to feel like normal. It, weirdly enough, and I don't suggest you do this, Jess, you can get the original on your phone. Oh, really? But it's text, and it's low poly count, and the controls aren't great. I would suggest we find a way to have you borrow a PlayStation or do something, because it it's it's a powerhouse. Um, sorry, we're getting off track, and we're almost <laughs> in an hour now. Uh, uh, this is a peek behind the curtain, dear listeners. Jess, you're recording this on your laptop with a broken power cable. How's your power yeah. doing on your laptop? 46%. Oh, we're good. We're good. I we're have another good. 20 we're minutes good. before my next conference call. So, <laughs> let's we've been we've been rightfully so singing the praises of this film. I want to talk a little bit for the next maybe 5 or 10 minutes about the stuff that doesn't work. Like I think we we've agreed. I know you got lists. Let me let me grab my list. Yeah. Um the world and the overarching themes of what it's saying do get across. But yes. the barrier to entry <laughs> is tough uh i mean this watch through particularly i was a little bit like okay the first 10 or 15 minutes is a mashup of info dump proportions that if you are not i was thinking about you while i was watching this i was like she's not gonna know what the fuck this is like because you can't it doesn't no. set you up to win no no i i yeah it was I was trying so hard in the beginning too to be like, I'm going to stay on top of this. I'm going to follow it. I was rewinding a lot. Like it took me a lot longer than two hours to watch it because I kept rewinding. Sure. I was trying so hard, but it got to a point where I was just like, you got to just let it go. Yeah. Let it go. You went full Elsa. Full Elsa. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the first thing that you see is like, Almost like an avatar-looking scene, so, with like the red lions, and so I'm thinking. So that's it's Red going... Thirteen. Okay, he's a main character in the game. You play as uh -huh. him, also voiced by Liam O'Brien of of uh, Critical Role fame in the English dub of this movie. Don't worry about that. Another nerdy reference. Uh, shout out to Liam <laughs> O'Brien. Um, the interesting thing is that scene with him running and his two cubs is a 600 years later or 500 years later moment at the end of Final Fantasy VII. Like, when you've seen it, like, you saved the planet, and then it says, after the credits, 500 years later, and you see Red still alive with his cubs looking over a, a Midgar that's overgrown and taken over by nature, and that's kind of like your, like, the planet is fine moment. So okay. if you didn't know that, and you saw that as the first image of this film, which you did, you're going to be like, oh, there's, there's going to be about animals? Is this? Yeah. What? 
Exactly. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I was like, okay, I can get into this. Like, wait. <laughs> I also, like, what? I Googled. I was like, what is up with the wolf? Because, you know, I love some wolf stuff. Yep. And it. Ba- so tell me if this is wrong, but the most succinct thing that I found was that it's basically a, a representation of Cloud's loneliness. Maybe. Maybe. Originally, before this was the complete edition, I thought it was the representation of Zack, because Zack was not in this a lot, and he had the same sort of main color as Zack. I have still, to this day, email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, what does the wolf mean? I don't know what the wolf in this film means. And he's got it, like, his earring is a wolf, he's got it on his chest, too. It's his emblem, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the, so, the wolf in his, in his daydreams or knockout dreams or whatever. But they don't really do anything with it. They it's don't. like you see that he doesn't acknowledge it. It's clearly like not a real wolf because it's just kind of like a spirit wolf. Even when he's back in the live stream at the end of the fight and they're like, oh, this one's too big. We got to send him back. And it's, and it's Zach and Aerith talking and okay, he wakes that- up. I was wondering whose voice that was, because is that Aerith that says, why do they keep calling me mother? Yeah, because, and that's an interesting sort of take about this entire film, too. The idea that the bad guys, uh, the three aspects of Sephiroth that were left over, which is confusing as all hell in its own right, uh, Laws, Yazoo, and Kadaj, um, they keep looking for Genova, whom they're calling mother. But then... uh, Oftentimes it's sort of and then like Cloud says mother and she's like, why is everyone calling me mother? And mm-hmm. you're kind of like, oh, shit, like is everything so intermingled that like Aerith is part of the planet now, but also Genova is part of the planet now. And it's all weird, esoteric nightmare fuel. Um, but I think it's just kind of it's interesting because <laughs> Cloud says it for the first time after all of these three aspects of Sephiroth are like calling him brother and wanting him to join with them because he's infused with Genova cells too. And like, yeah, uh, then have to have him call Aerith in a moment of confusion, mother, uh, when he, when he's technically dead, I think. And she sort of ushers him back to, to the real world. It's a lot and it's confusing and they don't tell you shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What else, what else got you real quick as far as. So, so, First two questions, which you've already kind of answered in this conversation, is I didn't know. I was like, what or who is Mother slash Genova? Is Mother the antidote to the geostigma or was, kill, it was Cloud killing Sephiroth the cure? I think it's a little of column A, a little of column B. What I read it as, and again, not clear. This is my reading. Don't know if it's true. Sephiroth was still poisoning the planet. His energy, his spirit, the Genova cells, etc., was still poisoning the planet from the battle years ago, and that's what caused the aspects to come out of the crater of La, uh, Laz, Yazoo, and Kadaj, uh, who then uh, wanted to get Genova and rebirth Sephiroth to bring the calamity to do the whole thing Sephiroth wanted to do in the beginning. Yeah. Once Cloud finally defeated Sephiroth, and not only defeating him, but realizing that, like, and again, the the, the line that gets me every time is Sephiroth at the end when they're fighting. He says, uh, tell me what you cherish most so that I may take it away. And then Cloud, when he finally pulls himself together, he's like, you don't get it. There's uh, there's nothing that I don't cherish. And I think that that change in Cloud's attitude allowed him to not only defeat Sephiroth from a physical way that he sort of did before, but almost like in a... Um, moral or or esoteric or psychological way where now the mm-hmm. the memory and the echo of Sephiroth is gone from the planet which allowed Aerith to sort of 
let the rain and sort of have the planet, quote unquote, which Aerith is now part of the life stream, sort of cleanse the geostigma from all of the people with with the rain and the the baptism water, so to speak. So I think that's the sort of take of it is after Cloud's journey of of sort of not only being able to physically best Sephiroth, but almost like from a from a moral or philosophical way, it's all tied in in these things. That is why. uh, The lines are blurred. What is what? Yeah. Was this a real battle? Uh, I don't fucking know. No. Yeah. What if he's just fighting himself on the edge of the, the broken Shinra building? <laughs> and that's why they're like, it, he has to do it alone. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, okay. So my other question was, who are the three silver haired guys that call him brother? Yep. Those, so those are the three. That's, uh, those are the three. Yeah. Uh, Yazu, uh, Laws, and Kadaj. Uh, they are. Uh, they are. They are the aspects of Sephiroth. I think or of Genova too. So the. The, the the crater that you see at the beginning of the film, the snow-covered crater, is where Genova first landed on the planet before Final Fantasy VII's story starts. And then the Shinra company got it and did all the experiments, and then that's what created Sephiroth. And then Sephiroth was like, oh, shit, I'm going to do what this alien mother, you know, whatever. So they were left over. They were basically like if you cut out a cancer, if there's a little bit of cancer left, it's going to slowly grow back and become more cancer. That's kind of how I take them. I see. Um, okay. That makes sense. But it doesn't explain they, that. It it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's like when they die, they just kind of evaporate. So you know that they're not. It's like I understood that they weren't real people. Yeah. Um. And their plot with the kids is super obscure. Like I get it. If you look at it from the cancer or the viral or the whatever metaphor, they're just trying to propagate more of them. Hence, they're taking the children and trying to indoctrinate them in a certain way. Again, from a both physical and spiritual or moral standpoint uh i think that's what they're trying to do but again that yeah. is not clear at all either okay and then the box that the guy that ran covered in the blanket yeah, for rufus most of the rufus story, shinra the president of shinra rufus shinra president of shinra the box that he has is that the 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 what was contained in that box, was that what you would say brought Sephiroth back? Fully, yes. That was technically Genova's head. The alien being that crashed on the planet's head that they were taking the cells from. And once the ah. remnants or the echoes or whatever got the head, they could fully bring Sephiroth back. Um, also, not a question, but an, an observation. Sure. Sephiroth's music because i was really listening to the music in this it's, the score and is beautiful and it's all from the games uh they do a really good job using it in this film it really is there's a lot of piano there's mm-hmm. um but sephiroth's theme music sounds like the t-rex from jurassic park's theme music does it, <laughs> it does. are you talking about one winged angel the one where it's like sephiroth maybe maybe that's part of it because his oh, music no, changes you're, you're a couple thinking times. of the dun dun yeah, that's the beginning of One Winged Angel, <laughs> which is the, the music that plays in the game when you fight Sephiroth for the final time. And it, there's there's chanting in it, and there's always a Sephiroth, do 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 do. Like, it's a very good track. Anyway. Um. But yeah, so a, a lot of my questions we kind of answered. I wrote what was up with the wolf. What was you know? Yeah. Um, the the point about like the kids and then okay here's one more thing I really didn't quite grasp okay. is why did Kadaj want to kidnap the children? 
again, I think, and this is this is I think the 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 weakest part of this film that has a lot of weak parts from a structural perspective. This thing is built on paper clips and soot. Like <laughs> the strength of the overarching story, the, I think, is the testament to that is the fact that the way this is presented to us is a garbled mess, and it still has an emotional resonance. The kids, I think, were they were trying to basically take kids with the geostigma and give them more Genova cells to basically start making more remnants of them to further the, the dark powers or Sephiroth's powers when he came back. Like it was all of this sort of like, again, I think the, the viral or the cancer uh, analogy is pretty clear though. Again, they don't explain it. And by the end of it, when like the kids are a little bit like the kids are all there surrounding that thing. Cause they think the heads in the statue or whatever, uh, you don't know why, and it's not clear, and it's not it's not talked about well. Um, I don't know. I guess. I mean, well, what would you say your? Because we're going on an hour here about this, and I could talk about this for <laughs> too long. Um, what do you think? I mean, now having seen it and having the discussion, yeah. yeah. What's sort of your? Your takeaway, I mean, you've kind of said it already, but like, I I'll say mine real quick because I kind of want you to have the final word, actually. Watching this in 2020, uh, with the geostigma in particular, with all of us under quarantine from COVID-19, uh, was an interesting way to now view this. Because before, mm -hmm. you always have climate change and you always have the planet sort of screaming back in real life about all the things that human beings are doing to us. And you kind of have the idea of like, I mean, and we've gotten a lot of villains lately of like, human, even though they're not correct from a moral standpoint, they're the best villains are the ones that you can relate to. Thanos, right? Like, Thanos is wrong, but you can see how you could think he's right. There's yeah. th like the human beings are destroying this planet. Technically, we could be a virus for the planet if the planet was an entity. Therefore, things are going to come antibodies to help destroy the virus, humanity, whatever. And I'm not saying like this is all sort of bigger picture stuff, but like I'd always seen the eco sort of warrior part of Final Fantasy VII. I thought it was a strength, but now we're living through a thing that with the geostigma in this film uh, feels very real for, again, a movie that's all over the place and very fantastical. So there was another human tie to it this time that I wasn't quite expecting. Uh, it was just another tether that I feel like, even though this movie is esoteric as hell without nearly a single clear through line, it is far more of an emotional experience. And if you can let it sort of wash over you in a weird way and be open to it, I think it still works. However, I will never fault a human being for watching this Especially if they're not in the right mindset or a very good friend of mine who I asked with 48 hours notice to do a podcast with me about it. Uh, and looking at it and being like, what is this piece of shit? So I, it's an important film to me. It's an important story to me. I do understand that it is a pile of hot garbage from a structural perspective. That is, if you can dig through it, there are there's a beautiful yellow flower with a pink ribbon tied around the stem at the very middle of it. And uh, I think it's I, it's an important aspect of storytelling overall. Uh, it, it represents for me. Uh, Jess, final thoughts. Final Fantasy VII, Advent Children, complete. Final thoughts are I took away a huge respect and appreciation for the intricacies of storytelling that is bigger, deeper, wider than what I can let wash over me by this movie. Yeah. 
and really appreciate and just understanding that it's bigger, deeper, wider, and that I'm only viewing a small corner of this universe kind of frees me from the anxiety of not understanding it. Mm -hmm. It's just like knowing that it's this bigger thing that, like I said, it's like, like this is like the, the, the character background and building of a character like cloud is really special. And the fact that they're able to build upon this and what you said is like 40 to a hundred hours of gaming is so thoughtful. And so like, I think that that was like my takeaway. It was just like, wow, like storytelling and gaming is no joke. And um, I think that, like I said, it's like, I would like to know more. And here's this whole like interactive world. The other thing that I was thinking about was how much did the gaming culture build social media culture? Because there's so, there's something to like that interactive digging into someone's character and understanding them and, and digging in, in a way that you can't in any other form of media literary so so scholars of media i mean have been around forever both of music and and theater and literature right the internet gave that uh, a place to talk about at the same time of the birth of sort of like more more movies television and video games sort of coming to the forefront and since those are and they're no less important but more easily digestible for certain uh, generations or people etc than the other things i've listed it all depends on your personal preference it's also a very low hanging fruit to find kinship with and discussion and and have uh, especially with the internet going you can get into a lot of conversations or arguments about the meanings of things that everyone mm. is experiencing and also as we got proliferation of media the access to media got to more people therefore more people could talk about it and for instance if the thing I'm experiencing, a movie, a video game, even a book now that we have those things together, is something that we can send over the internet, more people are going to be around to discuss it. So I do think the the discussion of media in general did help build the internet as a place people wanted to hang out because mm-hmm. there are not only things you could learn, but things you could discuss. Yeah. 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 So cool. Um, and then I guess like the last, last thing is I looked up whenever I just like did a very generic Advent Children Google search. Sure. The the 2007 Urban Dictionary definition is, I don't know if we want to end on this note. Let's do it. it. Let's do it. it, Advent Children is a movie based on the popular game Final Fantasy VII. Truth be told, this movie sucks. (laughs) But good luck. But good luck getting any Final Fantasy junkie to admit that. As we all know, Final Fantasy VII was great, albeit overrated game. Square knew this as well, and so this movie was made. This the story is a poor excuse to have the two most popular emo characters from the Final Fantasy series get into a huge epic fight. But the story didn't matter to fans. They just creamed their pants as soon as Cloud and Sephiroth pulled out their giant swords and started swinging. So the interesting thing about that is <laughs> they're not wrong. <laughs> but the interesting thing about them not being wrong is that they totally are. There's you can what was that? There's fifty eight thumbs up and seventy eight thumbs down. So 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 
obviously, when you look at an Urban Dictionary thing, anyone can make that, and that's fine. And you exactly. can see this film and totally do that, especially from someone from a perspective of someone who has no connection with the material. Um, mm. the, you need you need a primer. You need a reason to let you this sort of wash over you. And that's 100 yeah. percent true. But I do often think a lot of the stuff that is the most meaningful across media also does require a little bit of work. Uh, some of it doesn't. You know, you, you can watch Mad Max Fury Road, throw that thing on there from beginning to end, knowing nothing about Mad Max, and you go on an emotional roller coaster ride that will affect you. Not yeah. everything does that or can do that or is built to do that. And this is one thing that is not. So, again, entirely correct statement from Urban Dictionary that is also highly inaccurate if you look <laughs> at it long enough. It's the it's the it's the purple dress, yellow dress thing, Jess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. This has been the only podcast about the film Final Fantasy VII Advent Children Complete. Jessica, <laughs> thank you so much for indulging me in my nostalgia slash weird ask that I add of you to, to dive deep into a world that you knew nothing about yet again. Yeah, no, this was so fun. I was so happy to have the distraction of, of going into a different world. Well, we're gonna we're gonna see if we can figure out a way to get you uh, onto the remake because I think you would very much enjoy it. Um, yeah. Where where can folks find you when you are not waxing ecstatic, ecstatic, ecstatic? What's the term? You're, when you're not uh, talking philosophy about two <laughs> j dudes whipping out their giant swords and fans <laughs> creaming their pants. Where can folks find you? You can find me on Instagram at Jessica A Tuck. All right. Uh, and you can find me uh, trying to find time to keep playing the remake because it's all I'm thinking about uh, <laughs> at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PlayStation Network. That's where I will hopefully be at some point this week. Uh, also Emperor MSK on Twitter. Please also check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. I think by the time this comes out, we will be having an episode of Extra Mythology. Um, no, that's not true. That's going to be coming up. We'll be dealing with... Um, Oh, we'll be having a, 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 a episode called Gamification Sucks, which is a bit of a misnomer because we're talking about the ways that it can suck when used with education, but how we can still make it work very well. Um, I think it's a very good episode done by our wonderful writer Lee Sheldon and uh, I believe illustrated by Nick DeWitt. Anyway, next week, Shahir might be back or Jess, you might just take his spot. I mean, I, I, he's across hey. the street and I can't reach him and you, you came to my aid much like an airship full of friends from days past during a pandemic when I was up <laughs> against the internet's long, terrifying Sephiroth blade. Uh, and you defended me. You jumped. You, you told me that there was nothing you did not cherish. And, and here we are now. So thank you again uh, for that. Anytime. All right. Uh, you made you made me sound way cooler Jessica! Jessica! Uh, all right, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>